You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Wisconsin Sports Rocks podcast on the Packernet Podcast Network. My name is Sam Holman, and I will be your host tonight. Uh, we're back after taking a break for a week. I was actually out in Green Bay uh, there for the Los Angeles Rams game. Had a ton of fun out there. was a little delayed getting back, which is part of the reason why I wasn't able to record. I was basically stuck in Chicago for most of Wednesday, uh, but we are back. We are uh, recording again, you know, kind of looking at the defensive performance uh, against the Dolphins, you know, as the Packers try to maintain their playoff hopes. I wanted to look at that a little bit. And I kind of, uh, I, I kind of wanted to recenter the, the focus of my, of the podcasts that I'm doing where I feel like I kind of got off track. I was just kind of spitballing, you know, just trying to cover everything like a lot of other podcasts have. And I realized that I I wasn't enjoying that. I wasn't. I don't think I was super engaging when I was doing that. Um, and so I wanted to kind of get back to my roots, get back to what I really enjoy talking about, what I think I can really help people, you know, learn about a bit. And that's defense specifically. I want to look at, you know, what what are the defensive trends each week? Uh, and you know, this this time around, we've kind of got two weeks since I wasn't able to record for the Rams game. Uh, so I just wanted to look at what the Packers have been doing defensively, you know, what they've been changing, uh, look a little bit into how the Packers game plan against the Dolphins this week, because there's some, they did some really interesting stuff, and especially in contrast to what they were doing last week. And, and so I wanted to talk about that and hopefully, you know, help some people understand what the Packers are doing on a down-to-down basis for their defense. So just going to dive right into that. Um, I, I was kind of interested coming off the bye week for the Rams game and then this game, what, if any, adjustments were going to be made by Joe Barry? Because I've talked about it a little bit before, but I felt that the way he structured the defense doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, right? He's kind of had a penetrating style of play on his defensive line where, uh, in contrast to a more conservative uh, type of coverage, right? Normally, when you're playing a lot of too high coverages, you want to, you, you don't want to penetrate a bunch up front because you have to steal back gaps. You have to stay, you have to play essentially gap control defense on the defensive line, is what, the way I like to think of it. But uh, what they've kind of been 
trending towards was just letting letting guys freelance a little bit. You know, guys like Kenny Clark, Jaron Reed, uh, just kind of attack up field. Uh, not play conservative, conservative, not play gap control, but just try to get into the backfield and make negative plays. And I didn't love that because I, I, I don't think that that really meshes well with the type of coverage they want to play. Uh, I, the way I'd, I would describe it is it's a back-to-front style of defense where the front end is the primary focus of the defensive scheme. The, the scheme is focused around helping the front end, the defensive line, the edge players make plays. And that puts a ton of pressure, especially on the second level, right? Those linebackers, you know, when, when they're, those defensive linemen are shooting upfield, shooting gaps, then linemen can climb up to the second level free. And those linebackers have to absorb not only those climbing linemen, but also the gaps that are left uncovered because of the, the aggressive play of the defensive line. And so I didn't love that just because the, the linebacker, I, don't, I didn't think it was putting the linebackers in a good position to play you know, aggressively, I, I kind of prefer a, a more cohesive form of defense where it, it fits together a little bit better um, and is almost a, a little less risky, right? If that defensive line doesn't make those negative plays, then you're in a heap of trouble. Hey, that's how big chunk runs happen. You know, blockers getting up to the second level, guys getting out of position on, on the defensive line and you know, they're ripping out next thing you know, they're ripping off a 20 yard run. And that's a, especially dangerous with how rough it's been for the safeties this year trying to play the run. So I, I didn't love that. And part of the reason was the defensive line wasn't really making a whole lot of those plays, right? They would try to get into the backfield, especially Kenny Clark, you know, because he's kind of the big star on the defensive line. He had been in a bit of a slump. And so he, he kind of stood out because of his status and because of, his, you know, though the way he wasn't living up to that. So that that was kind of that was kind of my state of mind going into the buy, and I was really interested to see if they would adjust to, uh, after the buy. Whether it was, yeah, I, I I just didn't know. I wanted to see what would happen, how they would might make adjustments because up up until that point they had been really allowing us some serious, uh. Seriously, big plays for from the offense. You know, against the Eagles, they they really couldn't stop the run at all, and <clears throat> I, I think it was it. They had to figure out a way to get better in that facet of the game. So coming out of the bye, what they essentially did in the Rams game, we'll, we'll go move on to the Dolphins game in a bit. But I wanted to touch on this first. That they, they kind of took a tack I didn't expect. They essentially nixed any five-man fronts in that game. Like, they played all four-man fronts. And what they did was they really leaned into that penetrating style. So they were slanting a bunch. You know, defensive linemen, Kenny Clark, Jaron Reed, Devontae Wyatt, those guys were backdooring blocks, which essentially means just taking, trying to penetrate from behind. So, like, if an offensive line, say you're looking at the offensive line from the quarterback's, point of view and the offensive line is running outside zone to the left the backdooring would be when a defensive lineman tries to you know use a swim move or something like that to get back over to the right to kind of take advantage use the offensive lineman's movement against them to try to get into the backfield to make a big play obviously you can get splash plays that way but you can also be caught out of position so they really leaned into that in the rams game they didn't really play any five-man fronts Uh, occasionally they would essentially 
blitz Quay Walker off the edge to create a five-man front post snap, but a lot of it was just, you know, let that defensive line, let him penetrate, let him try to make tackles for loss. And it worked for the most part. They allowed some big runs, but they were able to create enough negative plays that they really held held the Rams, Rams offense in check. And it's not super impressive. I mean, the Rams offensive line is super beat up. They've got their technically their third choice starting at quarterback. They don't have any wide receivers. It's The, the Rams offense was a mess. And so, you know, you kind of look at that and say, well, that, that's great and all, but can that really work against an actually good offense? And so that was that was kind of, you know, I, I was thinking about that moving in, going into the, the Dolphins game. If anything, I was a little bit more concerned than I had been before the bye because I didn't think this style of play was really, really sustainable, that would it would really work. And I'm still not sure it will just because of the disconnect. I, I believe that to really be truly effective, a defense – has to be coherent from top to bottom, right? It has to operate on uh, compatible principles in the back end and the front end. And I don't know if this defense really does that. Um, and so I think it it's possible it could be exposed down the road. We'll see. But I, I you know, going into the Dolphins game, it it was kind of just a, a another step in the direction of, you know, kind of confirming that the way Joe Barry wants to play defense is, let that at front seven, really that front four, front five, just make plays, try to get into the backfield. And I should clarify that this is not generally when you make statements like that, it's not every single snap, right? Defenses to be, you know, at the NFL level, defenses are going to play a lot of different techniques, right? Even in that Rams game where they're really, really leaning into that backfield penetration style, they would still play snaps where they're trying to, control gaps more, you know, trying to take up blockers uh, more in, in the style of what the Fangio system te- typically tries to do. But overall, they were definitely more aggressive than I think that a lot of Fangio defenses are uh, typically up front. So the, the moving on to the Dolphins game, this was kind of, it, it was interesting. The, the way they approached the Rams game, it felt like they were trying to do a lot from the same look. Right, they were just in that four-man front, but they were slanting. They were, you know, rushing a field through different into different gaps. They were blitzing post-snap to get into different looks, but it all stemmed from that same type of pre-snap look. What I felt they were doing in the Dolphins game was they were getting to a lot of different pre-snap looks and then doing kind of doing some different stuff. Um, before I get get into more more elaborate discussion of that, I just want to take a quick break for our sponsors. And I will be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. 
Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, so talking about kind of the, the way the defense looked and in the Dolphins game, like, like I said, there was, there was a lot more variation uh, in the fronts pre-snap, right? I, I kind of went through and counted some of the different ways they aligned. They, the, essentially, what they were trying to do is they were trying to get one-on-ones in different ways. Um, so they kind of went back to, in the past, they've tried, they've experimented with some 4-3 looks where it's four defensive linemen, three inside linebackers. What that kind of allows you to do is it allows you, they would align two of the inside linebackers. I guess if we're using t- typical 4-3 t- terminology, they those would be the outside linebackers, the Sam and the Will, right? But they're off ball. But they would align those guys on the line. So it essentially t- create a, six man front. So they kind of went into that. They use an overfront in that where uh the defensive linemen, uh the two interior guys were lining up in a one technique and a three technique to with a three technique set to the tight end or whatever they determined to be the strength of the formation. And then they also they experimented with using an even front, right? Where those two interior defensive linemen were essentially head up on the guards. So two, those are those we call two techniques. You, the Packers haven't really used those a whole lot in the past. Um, when when they wanted to get a little more beef up front, right? That's that that four three package is kind of a compromise between getting a six man front and still maintaining some speed on the edges on the perimeter uh, against uh, you know slot receivers and that sort of thing. But when they really wanted to get a, a lot of more bodies on the field, they would essentially get into what's what I would call a six, one front, which is kind of the same idea, just a, a six man surface that you can get one-on-ones so you can get one-on-ones, but te- typically the six, one you're using heavier personnel. In the past, the Packers have used essentially four defensive linemen, uh, and then they would put one outside linebacker on the edge and then one inside line, one of their inside linebackers like Devondre Campbell on the other edge and then keep one inside linebacker at the second level. That was usually Chris Barnes. Um, this year they've alternated, I believe, between Campbell and uh, Quay Walker. They've kind of used them both in that in that uh, role, that off-ball role. But they got into that, that 6-1 front, that heavier version of the, of the six-man surface in quite a few different ways they got into it through with three four personnel where they would um they would essentially line up the three defensive linemen they would kind of align in more of a four three uh alignment one outside linebacker would kind of be like a five technique and then the other outside linebacker would go to the edge and one inside linebacker would go to the other edge. so kind of what i described before um, what they also would do is they would they would move both outside linebackers to the same edge, and then move one of the inside linebackers to the other edge. So kind of mixing up the personnel, mixing up where where they wanted guys to attack. And I think that was for a couple reasons. Like I said, they wanted to really create six man services 
create a lot of one-on-ones so their guys could win. You saw Jaron Reed. He had probably his best day as a Packer, but a lot of the time, a lot of the ways he was winning was in those situations where the Packers front pre-snap created one-on-ones for him. Um, and so they experimented with that a lot. They obviously, they got into like their two, their four, two, five stuff a little bit. They got into some, some three, four, uh, more traditional three, four, uh, type alignments. Um, one, uh, one kind of interesting thing I haven't really talked about. They are not really a tight front team anymore, right? Coming into Joe Barry's tenure here, there was a lot made of the tight front, right? The, which typically the tight front is a four, four eye technique. So that's, uh, inside on the inside shoulder of the tackle, two four eyes, and then a zero technique. Um, and what that's supposed to do is kind of make make it harder for double teams to move uh, vertically. They kind of the guards have to move horizontally to either try to reach the zero technique or reach the four eye. There's just just creating space horizontally makes it harder for for zone teams to get runs moving vertically. Um, and so that can, you know, open up space for the inside linebackers. But what the Packers have really been doing more this year is they've been moving to an underfront, which is typically the nose tackle is shaded into the strong A gap. The three technique is in the weak B gap. And then there's a, usually a five technique. Uh, sometimes they'll move him inside to a four eye uh, to the strong C gap or strong B gap, depending on, like I said, if it's a four eye or a uh, five technique. Um, but they've been using that a lot more than they use the tight front, which was kind of their their go one of their go to fronts last year. But the I, I think the the emphasis is essentially still the same. They're trying to penetrate, get a field, get, give guys like uh, Devontae Wyatt, Jaron Reed, Kenny Clark, give guys like that um, an opportunity to make splash plays. But the way they did it this week was really interesting because they were essentially trying to get Quay Walker on the edge to help defend event to, to help event to help defend against a very specific way that the Dolphins like to attack on offense. So kind of one one of the key plays for the Dolphins offense is a post wheel RPO. So essentially, and they, they can you know disguise it different ways, but essentially right. Tua would be in shotgun. You would have the running back to one side. To the opposite side, there would be a three-receiver bunch and then a single receiver to the same side as the running back. What they would do is he would he would use a zone read uh, um, to the single receiver side, so he's reading the edge. Um, the running back is kind of – he's taking like an inside zone path. Tua's reading that edge. He can pull it if he sees the edge player – dive inside after the running back. But what they're also doing is they're attaching a pass option to that. So they would put one of the receivers from the three receiver side in motion and have him run a, a grow into motion to the single receiver side, which you know turns it into a two by two formation. And that motion receiver would run a wheel where the static receiver would run a post. And so he could essentially, he would read the edge player and then he could read the second and third levels of the defense and, just because of the speed that they have on offense with Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, those you know, second level defenders, that motion that really stress their angles, stress their ability to cover those speedy receivers while still, while the defense was still trying to deal with the, uh, the zone read and trying to, trying to fit that. And so that, that was kind of in the past couple games, 
what the defenses have done to stop that that play and similar plays where he's trying to he they're very defined reads you know he's trying to take one read and throw it you know they, that's what Mike McDaniel McDaniel was is trying to do with the Dolphins offense a lot is make the reads really clear for Tua but what defenses have done in previous games is they've essentially pressed up their corners and tried to use physicality to disrupt the timing of those and and in the hopes that you know you could get try to get to off his first read he would struggle more and that would be a path to stopping you know a potentially very explosive offense Packers didn't do that as much they did press the receivers a bit but it was more like a almost a press bail type technique they didn't um, they weren't super physical. It wasn't a bunch of man coverage. They basically played the same zone stuff they've been playing before. But what they, what Barry really tried to do, and this is a really interesting way to approach it, is he would try to get Quay out over that second receiver, the guy running a uh, post, and have Quay use his length, use his size, to sh- basically shove that receiver into kingdom come. And that would have a, have a similar effect. It would it disrupts the timing of the route tree and makes it harder for Tua to kind of depend on those first read looks. Um, and they they did that. It, it wasn't all game, uh, especially early on. The when the Dolphins were having success, they were they weren't using that a whole lot. But you know, once once the game kind of once it kind of got into the game, like around the in the second quarter or, or thereabouts, they started to try to go to that post wheel, those styles of plays. And it's not just that play. They obviously have other variations packaged off of that. But that technique of essentially having Quay on the edge, yeah, either he would be on the edge in one of those 6-1 or 4-3 fronts where right, you've got the four defensive linemen occupying the offensive line, and then you've usually got linebackers out on the edge, like at nine techniques, really wide alignments. He would, you know, move out in space. They would align him to that receiver side where they like to run that post wheel RPO, and he would just, yeah, sh- basically shove that receiver at the line and uh, knock him off his path. And it worked. In fact, it worked in very critical situations. Uh, there are a couple examples of that. Uh, right before the Jaron Reed fumble in the second quarter, I believe, um, he essentially did that. The, the wide receiver, the timing was knocked off. It gave time for the secondary to cover up both the, the wheel and the post. And Tua had to basically scramble around, uh, look for uh, other options. He ended up checking down. It was an eight-yard gain. But still, you know, that's a – if that hadn't happened, right, you've got – I forget whether it was Hill or Waddle, but one of the two you would have had, you know, on a 15-yard post route. And who knows what would have happened, right? Jalen Waddle took one of those 80 yards to that to the house just earlier in the game. So um, what, what that essentially did is that set up the, the running play on second and two for Jaron Reed to cause that fumble. And then later on in the game, in the second half, Jair Alexander's interception kind of the, the first, well, I think one of the key turning points, you know, that and the fumble were both key turning points. But again, Quay knocked that, that post runner off his path and the, the two receivers were basically stuck in the same area. The secondary was able to blanket them and to just overthrew the ball and it landed right in Jair's hands. Um, other than that, I mean the second, I, I think that a little bit more has been made of the second half shutout that the Packers posted than probably it deserves. 
I didn't see a whole lot of schematic changes that Barry made. I think it was just execution, honestly, right? They they didn't run, allow as many chunk runs. They started getting a little more pressure, a little more more sacks, more tackles for loss. Uh, they had a couple key uh, penalties in, in key moments. Um, I don't think it was anything drastic, like a bunch of exotic coverages that they tried to run, but it was just good execution and uh, good, yeah, just solid, solid coverage, solid run defense. And then the, that added element of kind of disrupting what the Dolphins do best. And uh, that kind of reminds me of a saying, uh, there's a, uh, a defensive guru. He kind of operates on Twitter, on the internet, you know, he consults for NFL teams, college teams, coach Vass. He's, you know, if you're, if you're interested in defense, he's, I would say the number one resource I would recommend to people, but he had this great, he had this great saying in one of his podcasts, defend the best, survive the rest. And that's kind of what the Packers did. They, they designed, designed specific ways to disrupt what the Dolphins really like to do. And then they just survived the rest. Uh, they executed in that second half. So that's kind of, that's what, those are kind of my main thoughts um, about these past two games, but especially the Dolphins game. Really interested to see how they approach the um, Vikings game because they tried to get into some of that stuff that they did against the Dolphins actually back in week one. They tried to use some of those 4-3 packages, those 6-1 packages to create six-man surfaces, you know, disrupt the offense that way, and it ended up not working out where Justin Jefferson just cooked them, basically. Really interested to see the plan, what the plan is going to be just for Justin Jefferson. I kind of have a hunch that it's not going to be super different from week one. I've kind of stood by my um, belief that it was mostly execution that did them in week one. If they execute those coverages differently or better, then I think they stand a better chance. But to that same effect, I think that they could really benefit from uh, having Jair follow him around at least to the same side right it doesn't need to be man-to-man coverage every snap but like what the eagles did uh it was week two or three i remember because you know everyone was saying uh yeah, joe barry needs to do what the eagles did uh a lot of what they did was they they didn't man up on man up darius slay on justin jefferson they essentially had him travel to the same side tried to use those two high zone concepts to bracket justin jefferson and then on third downs they did call more man and so I, I think that that type of game plan would be ideal because um, there, there are a lot of tools in the Fangio toolbox for dealing with star receivers. And, you know, Green Bay tried to use a couple of them week one, didn't execute them. And so, you know, you, you, you can also question whether or not, you know, if the, if the defense can execute them, no matter how good the concept is, it's probably not the best choice, uh, right? You want to have something that your defense can actually, uh, you know, perform so i'll be interested to see how they approach that how they approach dealing with the balance uh between that and defending against dalvin cook obviously a key game uh looking forward to seeing what they got in storm i i've been kind of surprised these past couple weeks by joe uh by joe barry i'm still not convinced that he deserves to have well i don't want to say that because that sounds kind of he's obviously you know he seems like a nice guy and i He's obviously a real person, so I, I don't want to call for his firing or anything. But, you know, I'm not sure if these past two weeks have been enough to restore long-term faith in him. Let me let me say that. But they've been better. They've succeeded better than they have uh, in over the past month or so. 
against teams like the Eagles and uh, some of those other teams, Titans. Um, the Eagles are the main one they struggled against, from my memory. But, yeah, I'll be interested to see what they do uh, against the Vikings. I want to thank everyone for listening to another episode of the Wisconsin Sports Heroics podcast on the Packernet Podcast Network, and I will talk to you again soon. <laughs>